Hola, and welcome to episode 33 of Word to Your Mama. Today, I have Karen Hernandez, a community advocate and grassroots organizer. But I met her when we were both in the deep in the music industry. Um, so the community advocate, grassroots organizer is something that grew out of the pandemic. We talk about meeting over 20 years ago under the, what currently is the Harry Potter ride, um, the evolution of friendship and how that is important and how it, if it's worth it, you are willing to give that energy to someone. Um, being Mexican bitches in the music industry, that we how many like how many times we probably cross cross paths at UCLA. Um, the importance of checking on your friends. Uh, we talk about how black eyeshadow was used to pretend we went to Ash Wednesday. Those adventures, and also just transit her transition out of the toxic music industry. So I wanted to preface this by saying this was recorded. This is June, right, when this comes out, but this was recorded in April. And if you listen to episode 20, Ritzy P, The Past and Mental Health, I'm Ritzy P, and you heard me, you know, I was going through some shit and how I had up my mental health and everything like that. Well, I'm still going through that shit. And when I get to the other side, you know, I'm thinking maybe I'll do some episodes or whatever. But let me just, the, the gist of it is that some trash people in my life have have returned and all that shit that brings up that comes up because of that and I'm dealing with that so when I recorded this in April with Karen you know while I was going through the beginning of that of the new phase of this shit of this trauma that's coming back up I was like you know I really need I it really made me realize how dope my tribe, my family are, right? They're just amazing. Uh, they support in so many different ways. And I was like, I need to tell those that are here with me now that have been ride or die since day one in so many ways that this person that came back has not. I was like, you know, I really need to, to, be, to tell the people give them their flowers while I can, right? So <laughs> the the theme at the end of this episode is with her the part with her, the combo with Karen is this is what it sounds like when Cholas cry because you know, I just wanted to I, I, I'm hoping you've had this feeling that when you see someone evolve and step in to have that agency and to be the person that you and so many others that love them and surround them always knew that the potential was there. It's a beautiful thing. And, you know, to come out to the other side of shit trauma that, you know, let you be dope, but it didn't let you get to the highest level of yourself because, the trauma kept you thinking you weren't good enough. You weren't, um, you didn't deserve it and all that shit. So to see someone do that, it's, 
it's it it it, it it's a little selfish too because you're like, oh, I val- I'm validated in in expending my energy on this person, right? Because sometimes you do and. It doesn't work out, but it worked out here and she's a fantastic person. So I wanted to let you know that, you know, you'll hear what it sounds like when Chola's cry at the end of the episode. So, yeah, let's get into it. Record to the computer. Record into the computers. (laughs) Sweet. Okay, thanks. All right. You know. Let's do it. Thanks, thanks, Chola. Thanks for of course for being on. Word to your mama. This is exciting. This is something I knew from Jump that you know I would have you on if you were down because not everybody's down. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, not everyone's down to do it because they're just not like that. Like, you know, it's, it it stresses them out thinking about it, or whatever. But it's recorded. It's not like it's live. Like, I'd understand if it's live, but you know, not everyone is is down to do it but so first and foremost because we are still in a pandemic yes we fucking are how are you como estas have you been you know handling it as best i can really surviving um uh b and i both got our shots um last month in march we lucked out with his mom's hospital had some extra doses that they called us. So feel better about that. Um, but I'm still not really trying to be around people all that much. I've started to go out a little bit more to do like, you know, some activist works support jail support stuff. And, but I'm still, you know, double masked, like everything, like the protocols have not changed, even though I have the vaccine, you know, because you're smart. And yeah. because you care about not just yourself, but fucking others. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And, and just to be sure, I'm sh- hopefully you guys all caught that. She, d- Her and B didn't jump the line, kids. They had the hookup. Yeah. For the extras overflow. They didn't yeah. jump the line. Let's please, let's please remember that. <laughs> uh, it's a privilege, but not, you know. Yeah. Not the normal white privilege. A lot of <laughs> other people. Yeah. They didn't pay a yeah. grip of money to no. it's not like uh, the the last week's episode of organized crime. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> so true. Stabler is back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so so you're doing okay. You're you know, you're surviving. That's all we could ask for, right? Because it's yeah. it's crazy. And and though, you know, we're coming out with we have a new administration that's not perfect, but it's they believe in science and, and, mm-hmm. you know, they believe in it, take care of people and stuff like that. We're still dealing with the, the grief and the, and the stress and the anxiety of what we just went through, not just last year, but the whole time. So that's all we can ask for. And I, I want yeah. people to, to remember that, you know, like, cause sometimes I'm thinking to myself, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Or I gained this weight or, you know, it's just like, well, I survived though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that we say that I mean the day that we got our first shot, we were like, we didn't get COVID because we didn't fuck around. Yeah. You know, like we took it serious as fuck. Had tried to talk to friends that didn't and you know, sucked because I feel like it definitely impacted those friendships, but everything was done out of love and out of, you know, making sure that you don't you fucking care about other people and they don't die. Like I know. That's it. 
that was the main thing. And I think that's what people don't understand. Like it's, I want to do all these things for you, for the people mm-hmm. in my immediate family and my household. And for those that I love and care about, like, so anyways, yeah. um, <laughs> so I wanted to, of course, start off of how we met. I remember, um, I think you were having lunch with Albert Agbayani and Mr. D, Derek Schaefer. Mm-hmm. Um, when my my office when I just started, I think like right when I just started, and my office was where underneath Harry Potter now at yeah. Universal Studios. But I think that's I think that's how I met you. Yeah, definitely. It had to have been there because you had just started. I started at House of Blues in two thousand. In May of two thousand, they were having the CMA Awards, and you started like six months later, probably. Like it was, it was right after I was hired and t- supposed to start like right when September oh, 9-11 so happened. And then she was a like, year later. Yeah. yeah. Ingrid was like, don't come in. And I was like, oh, so, so yeah. And then, so I remember like, I don't know, maybe I, I don't know if Mr. D introduced or, or Kohler introduced. And then we were talking about how you went to, you know, you and Albert. I was, oh, cause I went to high school with Albert Agbayani. Oh, right, right, right. But I really know him and I was like, oh shit. And then you guys knew each other from UCLA and I was like, oh shit, yeah. UCLA, you know. Yeah. He was so, my roommate. So, <laughs> so that's how we met, right? Like it, yeah. at, under, at the Harry Potter, right? Yeah. <laughs> under. Yeah. <laughs> RIP Universal. RIP, RIP. MCA, HOB concerts. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. And then, uh, yeah. And then I don't know what if we like. Was it like immediate fast friends? Like I don't know. I just feel like you just been in my life forever. I know. So. Same. <laughs> well, you were you were at the amphitheater, right? When we yeah. So I was at the amphitheater, and then I don't know Good. how long after we moved over to the corporate offices on Sunset. Because we moved, we were already there September eleventh. Our floor was like oh, the town, the talent, the town department was. Cause mm. I remember I was like, I don't want to be in a fucking high rise. Right. And Melissa called and was like, nah, don't come in. And we didn't know, you know, she told us the next day when I talked to her that Mr. Bob Shea was supposed to be on one of those planes from Boston. Ooh. And we were like, she's like, I don't want to say anything yesterday. Cause we didn't know, but he wasn't, he overslept and missed his flight. Man. So it gives me chills. Yeah. But yeah. So we were, yeah, we were already at the other building because I also remember like that following couple of weeks, like they started laying a bunch of people off. Remember? I don't, I don't remember. When did oh, you move over did. to the, when did you move over to the big building? 6255? Yeah. The Motown I building. I don't know. That's that whole time is like a blur. Like I remember like, yeah, it is a blur. It's a blur. Like I remember I was there, but in the office, at Universal uh, Amphitheater, which turned yeah. into the Gibson, which is yeah. no longer there. But you could look it up and you could see the structure. A lot of yeah. amazing shows there. Um, and I don't know, was that a week? Was that a month? <laughs> like, I don't Right. It might have actually been January or like end of the year, some, now that I think about it. Because I remember marketing, you guys hadn't moved over till, you know, a little bit later. I don't know why we moved over so fast, but we were on the 11th floor. And I actually worked in that building before I started to work for House of Blues, I worked for a production company called Van Ness Films as a researcher and production secretary. Oh. So they did biography and like a bunch oh, of shows for AMC. Oh. Yeah. So I was like, oh shit, I'm back in the same building. <laughs> but it was cool because <laughs> I knew everybody, you know, the the 
what was the cafe downstairs? The, we call it the, well, the poison tree, but it was the people tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then that, so then, so, so we became friends and then, so there's a, like a lot of memories that, that we'll get into, but one of the, yeah. one, one of the main things when I was thinking of like, you know, what, what I want to talk to Karen about, um, couple of things. One is the evolution of friendship. Cause I think you and I are a great example of the evolution of friendship. And then another one is transitioning like how you your transition from leaving the music industry and and those types of things so yeah. but first and foremost our friendship um you know it was i think it was a lot of different elements but i think we just i feel like we gravitated towards each other because we were you know mexican bitches up in the yeah <laughs> in the in the white world um and then like the ucla stuff and then we were just talking about the other day that we probably went to the same. Oh, for sure. We were at the same we, parties. <laughs> we had to have been at the same parties. Because yeah. Karen went to UCLA, but it was like Aaron and I went to UCLA because her cousin, who's my cousin, uh, Drew was the basketball manager. So we would like hang, because, you know, we went to, to Long Beach State, which is really a commuter college. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, we don't have, I mean, there's dorms and stuff, but like, it wasn't like we had like you don't fraternity live row and, or yeah, whatever, yeah. stuff like that. So we would all, we would hang up there all the time, especially because he was the basketball manager. So he had these like legendary parties, super bad one and super bad two, mm-hmm. all the basketball players and all this stuff. Like it was ragers, like ragers, like what you think of like college times in the movies. Like it was like that. Yeah. So you had to have been there. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, this was the UCLA basketball championship years too, yeah. you know, like, yes. the Bannon brothers. Yep. Uh, yeah. It was, that was like the, t- I couldn't believe it. I mean, started school there and always felt like, you know, first year, big fish, or sorry, big pond, little fish. And then, <laughs> you know, I just was like so overwhelmed by everything that UCLA had to offer. And then I started going to these, like you meet people in the dorms and you start going to these parties and you're like, oh shit, this place is fucking dope. Like everything <laughs> about it, you know, like it wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't expecting to have like that sort of college experience Mm, mm. because I still had a boyfriend at home. I was commuting kind of back and forth on the weekends on occasion. And, but it was, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And you lived on campus for the the first part? I lived in the dorms for the first year. They had brand new dorms um, Mm -hmm. that we moved into. They were like just built the year before. Um, And then at the end of that year, no, the following year I was in the dorms again. And like my, I had a double, like usually you're in a room or sorry, a triple you're in a, in a double and you share like a bathroom with two other people. Mm. Right. So the, these were the new, how the new dorms were set up. My second year I went in the dorm and I had a triple and one of our roommates, something happened and she moved out. And then the other roommate also wanted to, she met some dude and was going to move to China to be with him. I don't know. <laughs> so I had to move out and I found like an apartment with some girls and but I always live like on campus that like the entire time I was going to school there. But after that, I just lived in the apartments, which are fucking hell expensive. So it was just, you know, yeah, because it's not a loans cheap area. for days. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's crazy. Like, I'm sure like if we had like video of back yeah. in the days, it's like me and you passing by me, you and Aaron passing. We're both, by we're both dancing in the same room. Like. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm sort of glad social media was not dude, around tell back me then. about it. Horrific. And, it would be whore fucking horrific. Imagine t- TikTok at those parties. <laughs> oh my god, too much. So many. It would. So many people would be canceled. Right. For sure. <laughs> so speaking on the evolution of friendship, I like when I said that you were. I feel like we're a good example because I was thinking about how long we've known each other, but we did. But I, but how long, it's really about how long I've cared for you. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because I don't, something had happened between us. I don't even know what it was. I can't even remember. And I don't even think that's important. But I remember Mm -hmm. I was living in Tevia behind the Red Lion when that happened. Whatever had happened between us. And we're young. We're both really, you know, we're young and we're both evolving. We're both learning how to navigate. And I, I think I had already, I guess I had already left by then The I had left to work for myself, but something happened between us. And I remember I asked you to come to the apartment. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't remember what was said, but I know the sentiment was like, I wouldn't do this if I didn't fucking care. Totally. You know, and I feel like I have friends newer friends that I really love and care about now and I see them with their friends friends um, air quotes right (laughs) and I'm like they're shitty yeah (laughs) they're shitty people and there's a point where oh well I've known them for it it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're we're too old for that shit you know what I'm saying but it it it, we're evolving and, and becoming our own people and it's just like if I you need those people that call you out and I need people like that to do that to me and I need and I want to be able to do that and sometimes I can look back and cringe and think like whoa I was like doing too much and overstepping my bounds or whatever but with with you I felt like we had like a a certain respect and and maybe you didn't understand it or maybe I wasn't understanding what I needed to do but I remember that was a, a big point for me on my side for our friendship yeah Honestly, I think you were probably the first friend that ever checked me like oh, that. Oh, and it was the first time I think I ever realized, like you know, usually like your your family does that, like they're like whatever, don't do that. But I don't remember the specifics of it either. I remember sort of a, a general situation where you were you you basically were like you're hanging out with shitty people <laughs> that are taking advantage of you, and I was, I fucking absolutely was. And it just made me sort of reevaluate. I don't remember if that was when Liz had already been sick as well, but she was probably mm-hmm. the second person that also, like, I think we all sort of maybe connected or became closer because of that. When you realize that like people, friends are calling out people around you that like don't serve you mm-hmm. well, that mm-hmm. like, they're not there to lift you up. They're there to drain you and take more than they give. And, you know, it's never like a tit for tat, like I need this from you because I gave it, you you know, like it's not even about that, but it is, you you know, there's the emotional vampire people that just sort of take and take and take. And I think I had several of those in my life at that point. And you were like, girl, don't. So. Yeah. Because it's those people that, that just want you, (laughs) they're only happy when you're, when they feel that you're below them or worse off as than yeah. them you know what I mean and uh, yeah so yeah so so that like that's always stuck out in my head as a really big turning point you know and it's just yeah. like 
I just, I don't remember what it was, but I do remember saying like, if I, I wouldn't be doing, like, this is a lot of energy. Yeah. <laughs> to expend, to call someone out, it takes a lot of energy. It does. And not every, and I understand, like, not everyone's outspoken. Not everyone likes confrontation, you know, right. because maybe it's just not your personality. It's not like, it's not your week or anything. It's just, it's not your, and I get that, right? And yeah. I, for, I forget that sometimes. But like, the evolution of the friendship and that's to say that that was such a turning point and to see, you know, I, some, your friends around you, your friends and family could tell you all kinds of shit, but nothing's going to change unless you yep. see it exactly. and decide to change. Right. Mm -hmm. And so from that point on, it was like, till now it's like so much growth, Karen, like, I've changed significantly, but you have changed so much in so many positive ways that it's such a great, it's a great thing to see. Thank you. And I think that's, I think that's important because the, especially, you know, first generate immigrant, I mean, you're literally an immigrant born in, in, in Guadalajara. Um, but like, especially for us, like, you know, first generation or immigrants, this is like, we hang on to the people from from back in the days that we've known forever that are shitty because we don't want to leave them. We don't want to abandon them or, you know, we don't want to be seen as like, oh, you think you're too good. Oh, you think you're too good now. Yeah. Like there's all these levels and it's like, no, it, this is how it should be. It should be an evolution where we both evolve. And like you said, you did this amazing post that I mean, it made me tear up and it's just like, it's true. Like you evolve and you go in and out like yeah. this, like, you know, I'm doing kind of like snakes and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> make motions and, and, but you, but it doesn't matter. You always can meet up and you mm -hmm. always evolve and you guys can reconnect after mad years, months or whatever. And it's like, Hey, what's up? It's like nothing had had, like no time had passed, but you guys evolve. And and that's what friendship is, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And sometimes it and it, it shit shit. We especially we know sometimes we gotta let go of motherfucking family members, yeah. or distance ourselves or do whatever. But this is I, I was like, this is a good example because I feel like you know you 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 don't want to be alone because the only friends you have are your shitty friends. Right. And I know it's scary. <laughs> you know what yep. I'm saying? Someone might be listening to me. It's like, oh shit, but that's all I have. Well, you know what? You don't need that shit. Like you, you know, it's your worth. And so like, yeah. I, I remember always being like, I see her potential. She's so, she's so giving. She's on top of it. She's on point, blah, 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 blah. She deserves that. Like, you know, when I was thinking about you, you know, and stuff like that. So to see someone's potential, that's why I was like, I'm going to put this energy because I see the potential and boom, look at you. Yeah. And there's just so much more to to grow. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm learning and and I'm, you know, getting stuff from you and stuff like that. So it's a it's a great evolution. And I just wanted to bring that up because you and I, are, I mean, it's what, 20, over 20 something years. Yeah, for sure. That's you nuts. know, <laughs> and also on another level of that, we met and, and, and became family in one of the most toxic industry industries, yeah. environments, <laughs> the music, the entertainment, yeah. first and foremost. And then you, the sub of music, come on, man, in LA. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, we knew, we knew from, I think from jump, you know, that we had like kindred spirits and I, you know, before we get into other stuff, I I just wanted to, you know, bring up a couple of things, uh, (laughs) some adventures. Um, Would you please tell the folks uh, what we would do for Good Fridays? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, we, we both grew up, well, I grew up Catholic for sure. Right. I don't know if you did, but like hardcore Catholic, cause again, immigrant, yeah. like I Next had to kid. go, yeah, I had to go to church every Sunday with my family growing up. And then when we started getting to like teenage years, my parents were like, they always wanted to go to the 8am mass and shit, you know, and we were just like, no, nah, we're not getting up that early. So my older brother and I would be like, we're going to go to the evening one. And then we wouldn't go. He dropped me off at my friend Michelle's house. He'd go kick it with his friends. We'd swing by the church on the way home, pick up the pamphlet. (laughs) So there was, there was a little bit of, you know, I mean, it wasn't who we were. I don't think either one of us identified with religion the same way other people in our family. And I mean, it's, it's just so different. I think when you're Mexican and you know, they're like, it's just, it's anyway. So yeah, I um, definitely had to also miss some Ash Wednesdays and Good Fridays and. <laughs> oh yeah, it was Ash Wait. Wednesday. It was Ash oh, right. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. It was Ash but, Wednesday. But you know, we probably would go get carnes on the tacos on a Friday too, girl. Oh, of so we're gonna steak. Of course, it's gonna be empty. There'll be no line, and there exactly. wasn't. You know, but yeah, we. Uh, and then the other thing that's sort of unfair also about the music industry. I mean. The way, the, the way some religions get extra days, holidays yeah. and different yeah. things like that, like, you know, they sort of recognize that, like, whatever, the Catholic holidays, Christmas, shit like that. But there's just so many times where all these people get like all these extra days. And I'm like, let's tell them we're going to church so we can have a long lunch. Let's tell them we're going to go get some ashes, Ash Wednesday. Go to that church down the street on sunset. Nope. That's what we told them we were going, but we yeah. did it. Because to to let to put it in perspective, we were we had you know switched over from Universal Amphitheater, like Universal Studios, literally Universal Studios, to um the a high rise office on Sunset, which was in the mix of the all the shit. And then Amoeba was down the street. Yeah. That I don't know, was the theater already was art was it already arc Yeah, arc light, yeah, arc light was there, Cinerama Dome was there. Yeah, like it was just like it was literally a couple of blocks away. Mm-hmm. And we just needed, we never, we hardly ever took a long lunch. You're just not allowed to in the music industry. And if you're even five minutes late, you get shit for it. And it was just like the perfect day to just be like, we're taking a long lunch, put some, we went, we went to Amoeba, we went, (laughs) we went everywhere. And then before we walked in, oh shit, we don't have any ash. And I'd like (laughs) dig in my purse for my makeup and some glittery, some glittery black ashes. Go back upstairs. And like, even when you do get real ashes, people sometimes are like, what's that? What's yeah. on your head? Your head's dirty. But I totally got called out by Kevin Morrow. He was like, is that glitter on your head? <gasps> he did? I didn't know that. <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah, girl. He called me out. No, oh, he was he, looking he, a little too close. Probably. <laughs> he caught you at the right angle. where Yeah. It like... The windows were open. It was all <laughs> sparkle. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> I don't even remember. I think I just was mortified and was like, no, it's real. It's not glitter. What do you, you know, deny. <laughs> you don't know my church. Yeah. <laughs> it's the sparkly Catholic church. <laughs> sparkly ashes. 
<laughs> amazing amazing so so many of those uh, work adventures yeah. um so let's get into how was it you were working in the music industry then you left then from there you went to howard rose what do you mean no i mean that's still music industry from house of blues oh yeah yeah so i'm, I'm thinking of the like what happened after house of blues you went to howard rose yeah so i was working at House of Blues Concerts in the talent office. So I was like a talent assistant to two talent buyers. And they had, I think, eight venues between the two of them that they booked, like big ass venues and Universal Amphitheater. And it was just Melissa Miller and Larry Mallon are probably the two best mentors I think I ever had. Um, but then Great she people. left the company and we got there, there was, there was like a transition of like, things were going to get scary. I kind of thought I might be losing my job. You know what I mean? Like we yeah. went to the big office and it was just like, especially after Melissa left, I really felt like I didn't have too many allies there. Mm. Like I had liked working with another woman who was super independent and she challenged me and uplifted me and taught me, you know, it was just like, I mean, she was just awesome. And so the one thing that, um, I think the reason why I ended up, well, I for sure the reason why I ended up working for Howard is because when I sat at Larry's desk and he would call for Larry every day mm. and the one person Larry told me never to put on hold was Howard Rose. Oh yeah. And he's like, and whatever he asks you, tell him he, you'll get it to him in a minute or what, like, do not ever say, you know, don't decline anything in any way. And I, I just, I never did. I was like, Hey Howard, like just, you know, anything you needed, <laughs> but thankfully I didn't have to like play Cause I usually had whatever question he need, need, you know, had an answer to any question he needed mm, or Larry mm. was always close by. And I think that made an impression on him because a lot mm. of people didn't like him. And so he had hit me up and um, was like, I'm looking for a young agent in my office. Would you Howard consider Rose up yeah. directly? I didn't know that. Yeah. Howard and Veronica, they both called me together and said, you know, we're looking for a new agent. At the time, I didn't realize that Steve Smith, who was the agent in his office at the time with him, was retiring. Staying competitive in these dynamic times means having the right technology at work for your small or medium-sized business. Whether your goal is to grow, downsize, or modernize, Panoply BPO provides the right combination of tools, support, and affordability necessary to make it a reality. Visit panoplybpo.com. That's P-A-N-O-P-L-Y-B-P-O.com to schedule your no-obligation consultation today. Mention WTYM and get your 13th month of service for free. Panoplybpo.com. There is a better way. So it was, I think it was like, they wanted to bring me in, see if it would work out. And then Steve would felt comfortable announcing his retirement and he mm. left. So that's sort of what happened. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I talked to him on the phone once I went and interviewed with him and he offered me the job on the spot and it just brought me so much joy to go back to house of blues and be like, I'm leaving Peace to out, work for Howard fucking Rose. Yeah. <laughs> Who everyone's scared of. Yeah. Yeah. My first day, I don't know if it was my, I think it was my first day ever. 
uh, or maybe when I was interviewing, I don't remember which day, but I remember they were working on something for Howard Rose. And, you know, I'm new. I'm like new into the industry. I'm, I just come from working at Hits Magazine, which is a music industry magazine. And I remember they were like, all afraid and be like, okay, if anything comes for Howard Rose, like this is like the same yeah. thing. Like, do not mess around. Like it was that fear yeah. instilled from jump. Sort of like Ari Gold, right? Totally. And, uh, totally. Actually not quite as nice. <laughs> I mean, he oh. was actually great to me. I don't, I, I never had that experience with him. I saw it happen to other people, <laughs> but it never thankfully happened to me. You know, you were never Which, at the other end of that. No, no. And I feel like that I wear that like a fucking badge of honor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I think I just probably lucked out to be honest with you, but you know, yeah. And then after that, you so went then, to, well, after that, then like, so I was working for him and the acts that we had were Jimmy Buffett, Elton John, Stevie Nicks, Chicago and Boss Gags. And we didn't have Fleetwood. So Stevie was only working with us every now and then when she wasn't on tour with Fleetwood. Mm. But then there was like, you know, the whole collapse of the economy happened 2008, 2009. Mm. And Howard just decided he didn't want to keep any act that didn't make over a million dollars. So he fired everybody, including me. Um, not really fired but you know it was just like yo this is I mean I think he just you know he's a real hardcore finance person that understood like what was coming and just didn't want to take the risks of that so after that I just sort of became an independent freelance person and I worked like a bunch of stuff with Shaney I worked you know Cafe Tacuba tours like a whole bunch of different stuff during that time um I worked I mean, between like, you know, the network of people that you meet that I had met with at Universal and House of Blues and even with Howard, like everybody was so kind to always keep me in mind for any kind of, you know, project managing, like artist relations, like all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I think it was like 2010, 2011, my friend Danny Johnson um, hit me up and he started working with um, this DJ named 12th Planet. And Mm -hmm. he's like, I need help. Can you help me like get this business going? Like, you know, we need a lot of work. He's getting a lot more activity. And that was like right when, quote unquote, EDM was starting to, it was just dance music in general, started getting bigger. And everything had shifted from like, you know, like it, there was a point where it was like Britney Spears, Eminem, Destiny's Child. And then it turned mm-hmm. a little bit more, you know, uh, like hip hop stuff. Um, Jay-Z was really big. Like things were just going cyclical a little bit. And then all of a sudden it was just dance music. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm an old raver. So that shit's like right up my alley <laughs> and was just like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll go help you. And um Next thing we know, he got booked to open up for Skrillex, but nobody knew who Skrillex was at the time. So he was doing this tour called the Mothership Tour and that just blew up and that was cool. But, you know, things didn't work out on that side of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I actually ended up getting another job after that, working for undocumented management, which John 12th Planet had been represented by, but he wasn't anymore. So that was another like, you know, dance, they had some, um, what was the name of that band? Shit, what's the name of that band? I don't remember. <laughs> they played at uh, Austin and there was like a riot. What the fuck is the name of that band? 
I'm gonna have to Google it because I legit <laughs> do not remember. Um, I remember the guy's name, Jesse. There was a, a riot at, uh, at South by Southwest. Yeah, over this show because they reunited. Hold on. Sorry, girl. To- Who is it? The Austin Riot. Mastercraft? Not Mastercraft, the other band that he's in. That's Brian in the background. Yeah. For those. What is it? Death from Above. Yeah, Death from Above. Death from Above. Okay. Lord of Mercy. So, yeah, I think when we were, when I was working at Undocumented, like that was the biggest act they had at the time. And they reunited and it was like a really big deal. But the two of them were also in, they'd started another DJ collective called Mastercraft. Um, and who else was we had Wolfgang Gardner? I don't know, a bunch of you know, dance acts that like were always getting booked at EDC and stuff like that. And just like it just like that's sort of the local flavor, I think. And it started to happen. Like every major city just had a big surge of like electro, dance music, bass music, like all kinds of stuff. Um, and then I left there and I think at the end of 2014, 15, something like that. No, 12, 2012. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, there was a transition. I was there for a couple of years. Um, and then I was working with Laura Bula for a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And with Shepard and doing some stuff with Z Trip and with um, whatever, just kind of like little, I was sort of kind of doing that independent thing again for a short while. And then a friend of mine from UCLA, um, had another company called Dexstar and he hit me up if I wanted to come work for him. Um, there's these two, um, <laughs> DJ women who are named Nervo, they're twin sisters. Oh, they are terrible. They're the worst. The worst. I didn't know it at the time, but yeah. I discovered it within <laughs> six months of being there. Um, yeah. And it was honestly like, I think my experience with all of those companies collectively, like, again, I think the last time I really ever even felt championed and supported, like fully, like yeah. you're a fucking rock star, you have potential, not you're a rock star, but you have potential, you yeah. have the yeah. ability, you have, you know what the gonna, fuck you're doing. I trust you. Yeah. And there was like, there were literal steps in front of me to move up. Right. I mean, even with Howard, he, he definitely gave me that, but you know, at a point where like, if the economy is collapsing, he's got to protect his business and that yeah. it is what it is. But the yeah. last time I actually had a mentor that really looked out for me was probably Melissa mm. because, um, you know, I feel like every other man that I worked with favored other men, they oh, favored, yeah. um, you know, I think women were always viewed as just support roles, not mm-hmm. in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And I was really good at supporting, but I was also really good at leading. I just never got the opportunity. Yeah. You know, um, so that's unfortunate. But yeah, I I left the music industry in 2015 um, after having a pretty contentious exit with, with Dexter, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, Assholes. I'll say it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really made me feel like, um, not just devalued, but like, here's the thing too, that I work so hard for them. I work so hard for anybody, no matter who it is. Like my, you know, I put every, I put 110%, which is part of the problem. Like I probably shouldn't do that because the expectation is 
this is something I've learned recently, but like, um, I've started participating in these that we can talk about this a little bit later, but there's an organization called white people for black lives. And even though I'm not white, I grew up in Orange County. I have a lot of white white. supremacist. I present white. I have a lot of white supremacist tendencies that I never really knew was happening. Girl, including perfectionism. Perfectionism is rooted in white supremacy. And it's crazy. It's crazy to think that like I drove that, like that was the car I drove throughout my entire career in the music industry. And it didn't matter because ultimately that, you know, it was, I was always in a support role. I was never given, you know, the right kind of salary, the right kind of title, the right kind of opportunities to really flourish. And, you know, I was like, they, I think they knew my potential. They just didn't want to give it to me. They knew it. They knew. And they knew they, I feel like they feared it. I feel like they saw it. And they're like, yo, we give her an inch. She's going to fucking go a mile and run the shit. And I think they knew it. And and you're doing the most and giving it all. And they're treating you like shit. Meanwhile, me, the, the mediocre males around yeah. you are being lifted and oh, given yeah. 10 million thousand chances. Oh, yeah. That's the Absolutely. thing. That's a running thing up in here, too. Yeah. And the thing, too, is like, I think they also... Part of the problem is that when you're a person that like wants to live your life and like in a company where all you want is fairness, Mm -hmm. they don't like that. No. Because it's not about fairness. It's about preference to Uh them. Uh You know what I mean? And if I'm not the person, if I challenge or question, you know, a directive of, you know, whatever, we're talking about a tour or we're talking about this, like on top of all of that, none of these companies had an HR. I mean, other than House of Blues. Yeah. So there's all kinds of bad behavior happening and you can't report it to anybody. Yeah. You know, there's nothing you can do. I mean, not to say that like HR is the end all be all, but at least having an outlet for like, you see how mistreated people get on a daily basis, especially women in the music industry. Yeah. And it's not cool, you know, and men just get away with it and they know they can. And it's just that cycle repeats over and over again. And I would call it out and they would get mad at me. They would get mad at me for it. And I feel like I would get punished for it by staying in a support role. Like that was what they did. You know? Totally. So the transition, I think I want to talk about, did you lose people? Because another thing that happens is, you know, you're in the music industry, you're certain levels, different companies. People are your friend when yeah. you can, you can give them something, when you can get right. them on the list, when you can da, 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 get a merch, get them whatever, whatever, whatever. So for you, I know you had a lot of, you know, genuine friends that were still friends now, but did you see that personally where as soon as you were out completely out did you did you see people fall off oh yeah yeah most definitely but i also i think i cut people off mm. like there were there were people that you know like the there the catalyst i think to all of this was honestly like i had started dating brian and he was so supportive of everything. My Mm. fucking long hours, having to travel, getting paid no money, like supporting me through that, helping me through all of it, listening to me come home every day and just fucking bitch nonstop about how awful everything was, asking his advice, offering advice. And there was one day that I came home and he just said to me, I want you, I want you to come home and tell me you had a good day. Oh, yeah. Like, I just want to hear you say that. And I just cried and I was like, shit, like, 
I'm punishing myself. Like I'm yeah. putting myself this relationship. I'm like, you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's, yeah. I mean, it certainly caused a lot of problems. I think with every relationship I had, I couldn't sit in a room with somebody and not look at my phone 75% of the time I was there, Yeah, you know, or do whatever. And it was just like, I, I knew there needed to be a change. And I knew it was almost like I could hear you girl in the back of my head, like, <laughs> fuck these people. Well, anybody that's ever challenged me and been yeah. like, this isn't worth it. Like this yeah. isn't worth it. These, again, these are fucking vampires that are circling yeah. around you that are taking, taking from you and not giving what you're putting into this that you deserve. And I didn't, it was really, really hard because at this point I've got 15, 16 years in the music industry and it's my identity. Yeah. Like that's this the is, thing. Yeah. this is all I know, you know? And I, I, I sort of just like, you know, Brian was like, move in with me. We'll figure it out. Like there's another path for you. I don't know what it is, but we'll figure it out. And I trusted, it was so hard. It was so hard because I didn't, I, but I knew it needed to happen, you know, and I was scared shitless to do it, but I just was like, all right, I trust in this. Let's see what happens. I was letting go. It was a huge step for you, Karen. Yeah. For anyone in the in the music industry, if they want to admit it or not, but you were admitting it. And I think that's what probably helped you because you admit it. Yeah. You're just like, I don't want to, but I try you tr- you I feel like you saw that you had tried and tried and tried. Yeah. But it kept spinning you back out. No. For nothing. Yeah, I just wasn't, yeah, there was no, there was no reward for it. Like there was just it was constant chaos and it was constant just emotional drainage, you know, where it just like, it just eats away your soul and you just, and I was working for people that like do really well. They were very, you know, clients that like, I'll say it's Steve Aoki. I mean, he makes a lot of fucking money. Yeah. I got paid shit. Yeah. I, to ask for a raise, they laughed in my face. Literally. Right. Like literally. Yeah. Yeah. They told me they couldn't afford it, but then I would see the expense reports because I did all that shit. I would see how much money they spent in Miami. I would see how much money. And, you know, at this point, I mean, it's, I know it's all business. It's not, you know, it's, what do they, what do they say that it's not, it's friend business or show business, whatever that dumb analogy is. But like, I mean, but that's the thing though. I still saw them hiring their friends. And I'm pretty sure that the dude they hired to come in and replace me got paid more money than I was making. Of course. Yeah. Cause he's the bro. So, so you finally made that move. And then I, I saw the change because of B shout out to B. Yeah. Um, Cause it felt like it seemed like from an outsider, you know, looking, looking in on your life, it felt like all different facets of your life were starting to click. Yeah. On the romantic side, being supported, you know, you cut people off. They were, you know, taking too much. Then you finally left that. I'm sure that was a very hard transition. But then, you know, your your skill, it, what, what other people can um, can agree with, it's like the music industry is like motherfucking boot camp, forever yeah. boot camp. Oh, like yeah. everything's a fucking fire. All these fucking egos. Like you're like <laughs> it kind of like probably like what the fashion industry is or you know working at Vogue is after seeing like Devin Wars products like <laughs> like all the time. I'm not every job, but like you know, especially when you're young and when we grew up in it. And yeah. so those skills, you I remember you ended up going someplace 
And they were just like, what? Like, who, who oh, yeah. are you? So this superwoman? like, how are you handling all these? How are you juggling yeah. all these things? Right. Girl, working for the city, working yeah. for a city government that was like, yeah, I just was doing honestly what I, what felt like the bare minimum to me. And I would make <laughs> suggestions on stuff. And they were like, you want to do that? You want, you can do this. You can, you know, it was, it was a trip. And I was like, wow, I have never seen I just you know you don't experience that like your universe is a constant hustle constant hustle and then you get to like another place in the real world where you don't have to work 70 hours a week (laughs) to yeah minimum wage to get you know (laughs) you you can clock out and leave work like or you know what I'm saying and all this stuff exactly yeah so then, so then you have the different jobs. Then you finally get with the last company you were with pandemic. And, and I, like, you know, it's important, but I kind of just, cause I want to get to where you're at now, the transition yeah. of, you know, you're being so happy. You're like, girl, you, I remember you were, you're like, Oh, they said that, you know, I've been working so hard that I could take some days off or I could work from home. And then I got bonuses and then did, I yeah. was like, I was like, what? And I was like, this is amazing. And I was so happy for you. And it's like, you're being recognized for all your work. You're moving up quickly, like all the shit. And then boom, pandemic happens. Yeah. And so how did you get from finally finding your space in a new industry, being excited about it to pandemic to now what you're doing and you just like, I'm going to have a link to it, to this L.A. Times article. Like our girl here has been advocating her ass off doing a grip of shit. And how did you get to that? Well, the the last job I had. it Yeah, it, it was crazy the way everything happened, because we were one company that ended up um leaving another company and becoming its own independently traded company. So I was a part of the team that like helped transition and like find all these new employees. I worked in town acquisition, doing operations and like I fucking hustled like I always do. And because of that, I worked with a team of women who were very supportive. I mean, they worked me hard, but they all, everybody work hard. You know, Mm -hmm. we were all like trying to do stuff, but I was recognized. Like you said, like, boom, here's a bonus. Boom. Here's another bonus. Like (laughs) the time off wasn't always, I mean, on occasion it was like, I still kind of had to work here and there. And I probably like, I, that's one of those things is that you always like, you want to have boundaries in your stuff, but then you know, you get a little bit of allowance and Brian will probably tell you a different story. And he'll be like, fuck that. You work too much. (laughs) They didn't pay you enough. I mean, it was, it was a good opportunity. I think up until that point where, um, the pandemic hit, like we had offices in China. So we saw that shit coming Mm -hmm. and they didn't, they, you know, they shut down the offices there for a little while. Things were getting back to normal, but it came here and it just blew up. And I think they knew the U S wasn't going to recover the same way other countries were. And I wasn't part of the first round of layoffs. Like they did some workforce reductions and, you know, it was an HR department kind of whatever job. So I was privy to some of the conversations about what was happening. And they're like, okay, now we're going to furlough you guys like for two weeks a month at a time. So they were staggering people. And then girl, like the week after my birthday, they're all, oh, we're letting you go. Yeah. But you have to stay on for four weeks. To teach everyone else your job. Yeah. Which at that point I was like, man, I should have just, 
I should have just picked up and walked out, but I was given the impression that they were going to hire me back at some point. And Mm -hmm. anyway, that, that whole thing didn't work out. And it also taught me another big lesson where, you know, even in a, a team environment where, you know, you hustled, you know, you made a difference, you got a promotion, you got more money, some shit will happen where like, they're going to hire back the male. Yeah. Who made a little bit less money than me. Didn't work as hard. Yeah was complacent because he never questioned anything. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think same it's bullshit. Story. It's always in yeah, any industry in any, any industry. industry. Yep. And so during that time, I, um, I reconnected with a couple of friends of mine, um, this woman, Pat Davis and a man named David Duran, their partners. And they're these retired activists in Orange County who I met in 2016, like we knew 45 was going to get elected. Like things were kind of crazy. Actually, he'd already been elected. So it was, I think it's 2017 we met. No, when did he get elected? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was like this ACLU. Yeah, there was an ACLU um, initiative called People Power where they were like, you know, I mean, police violence has been going on forever. Yeah. And I think that was probably shortly after Ferguson had happened. And so um they, they, they wanted to have community groups reach out to local police departments and reach out to them about like the use of force and, you know, just kind of, so I met up with them at their house. We did this like online training together. We were like, she's like, we got to go to the police department in Anaheim. Nobody volunteered, but me and her and her and her partner. And I mean, Anaheim at that point was like the seventh deadliest police force in the United States. And I just moved here. I mean, not that I didn't grow up around here, but it was like crazy to see how fucked up it is here. Mm. And um, I just kind of started from there. But like, because I started working, I wasn't as involved in the advocacy. Like I tried to, you know, meet up with them every now and then work on some stuff. But honestly, like, I think, I, I mean, going to UCLA, that was like the heyday of, you know, Proposition 187 and 209. Like it was the first time I ever protested. It was the first time I became aware of a bigger thing than me. Like Mm -hmm. we got to help people. Like Mm -hmm. as a society, we got to build policy. We got to build power to make sure that like, you know, I mean, this has been going on, you know, for, for too long that it was just, I just remember like being at UCLA and thinking like, I need to do this. Like I had friends of mine who I actually, a couple of them went to high school with one of them. His name is um, Alberto Retana. He actually works for Coco in South central. Mm. Um, And, you know, he was one of the first, like he, you know, I don't know how you realize you're woke in like 1993 or 94, (laughs) but like he was, you know, Mm -hmm. he was like coming to me. And when I was at UCLA, I was part of a student organization that like book concerts on campus. We had a film program. It was just entertainment type stuff. And we got a lot of money from student government, like as part of our, um, as part of our budget. And so a lot of the organizations that didn't get that money would come to us about like co-sponsoring something. And he would always come to me and was like, you know, you got to give the black student union this money. We got to give the Asian Pacific Islander group this money. Like everybody needs this money. Like we got to pass it around to everybody to make it fair. And I always did that. And it was, I think the first time I had experience with like, this is what we have to do. Like we have to recognize everybody to make sure that like everybody can move in unison together in a path forward. And so, you know, fast forward to getting laid off and from this job during the pandemic. And I reconnected with, with Pat and Dave 
And they, I had seen that they, that somebody had started at People's Budget Orange County. So what also happened at the beginning of the pandemic was George Floyd, mm-hmm. you know, being murdered uh, by Derek Chauvin. And so that was, I think, the, another time that like, it really, I think because of the pandemic and so many people lost their jobs and they had the time to advocate and did like, express their fucking rage in a in a way that had never been done before on this level like where yeah. they just literally had time to do it you know and so you know black lives matter la and people's budget la like they started a big huge campaign that had been probably going on for the last 5 years where they've been doing research and trying to figure out you know how do we take money away from the police and give it to the community and People's Budget Orange County formed out of some of the friends that I know, Pat, Dave, and a few other people that were like, we got to mirror what they're doing in LA and bring that here because, you know, every police department has an overbloated budget and it's just out of control. Yeah. And so we just started, I just like, I started, you know, they, they also are part of an organization called Housing is a Human Right, um, which helps unhouse folks, which everything changed during the pandemic because, you know, everybody was scared. Like you can't go out and advocate the same way you were doing it before. Um, but they were organizing virtually like, Mm. and you can do it. I think a lot more virtually, like you have a lot more time to do it in different spaces than having to like drive somewhere, commute, meet with people, you know what I mean? Kind of going back and forth. You're at home. Like I got an hour for this organization. I got two hours for Mm -hmm. this organization. I'm doing kind of stuff here and there. So, um, I started working with them first with HHROC and then they told me about people's budget Orange County. And I just kind of started sitting in on some meetings and I was like, fuck yeah, this is amazing. Like this is exactly what we need to be doing because honestly the intersection of everything at the end of the day comes down to money. Yeah. You know, and like uh, there are so many things that can be fixed if money was going to the right places. I mean, budgets are moral documents that basically you know, show your priorities, show Mm. your values. And if as a society, all we value is police. Have your kids been in a house playing video games in your space way too long? Now you can get them outdoors and still be social while social distancing at the skate side after school and group skateboarding classes. Skate students get to improve their skating and decompress after a long day or week of school. This program is awesome for beginners to get started or advanced skaters to take their skills to the next level. Go to theskateside.com and learn about our COVID-safe programs in Santa Monica, Culver City, Glendale, and South Pasadena. That's T-H-E-S-K-A-T-E-S-I-D-E dot com. The Skate Side. More kids skating. Yeah. And we don't. We know we don't. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know... I don't know. I'm not going to stand up for any police department or police officer in this conversation. Yeah. Cause I know there's people that are like, not all cops are bad and you know, whatever. Yeah. That's fine. But the ones that are bad aren't being called out by the ones that are good. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. So yeah, I, um, 
I started working with them and another organization also called Transforming Justice, which they're, you know, they're kind of like an abolitionist group. It's really different. Like the, the folks in LA really talk about abolition on a level that is very non-restrictive. Like that's their demand. They yeah. want to do away with the carceral system. They want to do away, like they want to abolish police. There are systems, these systems were set up at a time where, you know, they were, they were basically set up for slave labor. Yeah. And it's bullshit because that's not what needs to be. That's not what, you know, healthy communities need. Like that's mm-hmm. not, that's not what will help healthy communities thrive. And um, in Orange County, it's just a lot different. I mean, we, we've become, you know, we were blue for a little bit. It's kind of purple right now, yeah. but it's, there's still a lot of fucking red hair and there's a lot of conservative people and they're, you know, they may be liberal, but they're not leftists. Mm. So they believe they don't want to say defund the police. They don't yeah. want to say abolish. They're like, can we just say reimagine? Let's mm. divest, mm. you know, like there's a different language structure we have to follow here. I think to not turn people away from the movement. Yeah. But at this point, you know, so as people's budget, we've been really focusing on trying to educate people as much as we can on all of these different issues and how they work because people understand money. They understand finances. So if you show them a big fucking pie chart of like, this is how the money comes in. This is how the money goes out. And it's your money. This is all taxpayer money. Yeah. You know? And so with People's Budget, we followed the same, um, you know, we were inspired by People's Budget LA and they did a big survey. But again, this had been ongoing for, I think, over a year before the pandemic. So they were really able to, you know, like meet with people in the community, meet with all of these different groups. They developed this big coalition of alternatives to incarceration where they had backup already set up so they knew that like oh we need a program for trans kids it's this organization we need a program for black youth we need a pro like all of these things were like set up they put out this insane report and still it basically showed you that like the community wants investment in programs you know anything that will help solve like to get at the root of the crime so the crime doesn't happen yeah you know crimes whatever air quotes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um a lot of those programs unfortunately don't really exist in Orange County. There's a lot of um I think there's a lot of scare tactics that like we have a pretty big immigrant community and they don't participate in a lot of these programs I think out of fear that yeah. you know, they're going to be targeted. And um Anyway, it just it's it's been a challenge, but we were able to get um, over a thousand people, which is according to Melina Abdullah. When I sent a meeting with her last week with People's Budget LA, when we were telling her our story, she was like, "That's a lot for Orange County," which was great. <laughs> you know, they probably had like a hundred thousand, but still, it's something. I mean, it's it's the yeah. first time it was. You know, this this is this started in June. We put out we we spent two or three months you know, getting the survey out, putting the network of people's budget together, the coalition. And it was like, you know, folks from the ACLU, folks from OC protests, folks from like, basically a lot of like-minded organizations that they could get together to be a part of this people's budget coalition to present, you know, we know people don't want all the money going to the police. And so we presented the report in September to the board of supervisors in Orange County. 
And it was an amazing experience because we did it as a collective organization. Like everybody had a piece of the report and we just went up there and we read it. Nice. And it didn't make a difference, unfortunately, in that moment. But it, the, I think, I don't want to say it didn't make a difference. It didn't, it didn't impact the way they voted mm-hmm. on the budget. Um, the budget typically is, you know, created by the CEO and he is not a person that will ever challenge what the supervisors want. Mm. So, or they are not depending on so far. It's just been in my experience in working with him. It's been one person. His name is Frank Kim. And, um, he's just a status quo guy. And most budgets, like even within corporations and other people, like your budget increases a little bit every year for each thing, but they're also taking away money from stuff. They're taking away. The only reason they didn't take away money from the healthcare agency this year is because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they got federal money from that as well. But like, there's also been a lot of controversy that they have been approving all these contracts without public input. But they're using COVID, the COVID emergency, air quotes, as an excuse for that to happen because they haven't been presenting them at Board of Supervisors meetings and stuff like that. And so, again, we're just like, as people's budget, we're just advocating, showing people, talking about all of these things, letting them know, you know, where the money's going, where it should, where it could be going. Um, Also, teaching them how to advocate at the board of supervisors meetings and, you know, being able to give public comment right now, we're really not recommending people go there in person because it's really dangerous. They don't, um, they don't enforce masks inside. They don't clean the stuff in between the microphones in between speakers. And like, there's a crazy group of, you know, extremist Trump supporting people that have been in this space for the last six, no, at least since last May. So there have been like crazy altercations outside. And like in May, what happened was Orange County had the mask mandate put in place and all these anti-maskers fucking, they're all Trump supporters. It's the same shit. I don't even say his name, sorry. Um, (laughs) 45 supporters had, uh, they all showed up basically calling for the resignation of uh, Dr. Nicole Quick, who was the, the county Oh, yeah. Um, health person at the time. And she, the girl, they said her phone number, her address at the board of supervisors meeting. She was getting death threats. She needed to have security in front of her home. Like, so she just resigned. They put this other dude in his place. And last week, I started last week, just this Tuesday at the board of supervisors meeting, those same people, over 180 people showed up at the board of supervisors meeting this week to complain about a vaccine passport that isn't even an, a thing. A thing. <laughs> but anyway, but it's, it's, it you is. know, there, there's the way, the way a lot of these other, you know, people move within the same space that we're advocating for. We have to be really careful with, I mean, me personally, and the groups that I work with, we know we don't want to be in the same spaces as, as them because yeah. there have been altercations between people that we know they target you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the black activists and the black leaders in Orange County, because there's not a lot of them. And I think they feel that they're easy targets, unlike in LA, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, so so one of the, would you say that one of the benefits or the silver lining, if you will, that came from the pandemic is really getting you back into 
activism and getting yes. you part of I mean I'll just we keep you know she's Karen is also part of postcard bitches which we discussed because oh, yeah. oh, I had yeah. a TI on here on uh, episode 11 um the whitest blackest um <laughs> and uh she's the one who started but Karen is part of that group too and then you know Karen at simultaneously was also doing all these other things and she's just been more and more involved um, and, you know, d- maybe it's a turning point in your life of what you want to do. One thing we talk about here all the time, and people are probably tired of me saying it, the nonlinear career path, because it's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes life just directs you and sh- opens the door, shows you something, you know, because like you said, which, you know, it makes sense because I didn't know that part. Um, and I know you well, is that how it, you know, kind of just all starts back from UCLA organizing days. And it's always always in you. You've always, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And then now you're here. Um, I mean, I have to say that like my experience, all of this is driven by my experience in life. I came here as an immigrant. We overstayed our visas. We had a president that gave us amnesty. I grew up in Orange County around a lot of privilege. Like, I don't think that a lot of the same people that are experiencing this, like coming here as an immigrant to America will probably have the same opportunity. Everything is so much more difficult. And I'm very aware of the fact that like, I need to help make it easier for people like me. Yeah. You know, because, or else who's going to? And it's like every, every experience you, you go through in your life. And sometimes you don't even realize you know, what you're carrying with you that is going to impact a decision for a piece of something that you want to advocate for. And I have to say, specifically with like, you know, the nonlinear career thing is like, I, I was trying to stay linear. I stayed linear for a long time. And then I was like, man, fuck that. And then I was like, okay, I think I can do this. Like, I city government's cool. Maybe I can do this. Well, maybe not. Maybe, oh shit, town acquisition's cool. I can totally do this. Yeah. But also realizing that like you're capable of so many different things. Yep. You know, and then getting into this space and doing all the different things that I'm doing, I've also become like super fucking anti capitalist. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want my labor to go towards a fucking company that's going to profit and not help their community. Yep. You best believe I just like, I've all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Again, it's all these experiences of things. And I, if I didn't have all of this shitty experience in these jobs that like, imagine having, you know, great jobs that pay well, that take care of your people. Like very few of us have ever had that experience. You know, there's just, because companies aren't, don't want to take care of their people. They want to take care of their profits 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 over people when it should yeah. be the other way around so i i i that's why i was like i really i wanted to have you on here since jump because you're definitely my part of my familia and part of my tribe but especially at this point i feel like there's a lot of people that could be listening that are coming to terms with a huge shift in yeah. the direction of their life in their career uh, what they want to do, be passionate about it, making dis- different types of decisions now, because like you said, we've had the time. We we, mm-hmm. we we couldn't go to work. We didn't have a job. Jobs were taken away from us, especially if you're in the music industry or entertainment industry, live music, live events, and you had the time to reassess. And yeah. I feel like you're a great example of like, like you said, 
all the shit. You wouldn't be at this point if it wasn't for all the shit, the good and the bad. Yeah. So let's get into questions from the audience. Oh, shit. (laughs) All right. So this is questions, comments, excuse me. I'm renaming it questions, comments from the audience. Sure. So the first one, um, it's not really a question. Uh, It's just kind of a statement. It's a Daft Punk LA sports arena. Uh, I was sent a picture. I was included. So I don't think it was the Daft Punk LA Sports Arena, but he says, not sure if that photo is from there or not, but that was one of the best nights ever. And that's from Danny Johnson, a.k.a. Danny United, (laughs) vice president of Little Empire Music, who you talked about in your journey. Sure did. With 12 Planet. So I don't think uh, there's a lot of shit that we did together that I don't remember, but I don't think I went with you to Daft Punk. You didn't. Right. Well, yeah. So it was something else. It was, it was a different Marissa, but. Oh, <laughs> that's why. Because <laughs> you're brown, girl. It's because <laughs> I'm brown. I was, oh, I see you, Danny United. Oh, I see you. I'm just kidding. Okay, next question. I'd like to ask Karen about her love of ska. Where, who were the first bands she she saw play live and who are her favorites? This is from our episode three guest, a word to your mama. Mr. Eric Kohler. Kohler. Hell yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, growing up in Orange County, second wave <laughs> ska was like, I mean, I was exposed to all different kinds of music, but like, I feel like, I mean, no doubt is the, everybody thinks of that when you think of Orange County ska, probably more than anything, but I, I think they were only ska for like five minutes, five maybe seconds. two albums, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then not, but I, I think specials and madness were probably the mm. first time, like artists I ever, I mean, I named my golden retriever Rudy after the song, <laughs> you know, cause I yeah. was like, he's Rudy. And, um, but like my favorite, I would say currently still, I mean, <sighs> selectors fucking great. Um, slackers are awesome. They did a little, valentine's day like live stream during the pandemic which i had the best time listening to <laughs> I, I mean I, li- I miss live music but like i was glad to still still see some of that stuff you know yeah um yeah i mean specials is probably probably my number one forever all-time, all-time favorite right yeah when they were united and played coachella and all those i went i went to all the shows it was amazing <laughs> cried every time skanking <laughs> crying <laughs> Shit, I'm, uh, that might be what the, the name of your episode, Skanking and Crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be on my tombstone. Watch. <laughs> Next one. Um, what's her advice for being a badass bitch? Like, oh, she is fierce and kind and strong. I want pointers. This is from episode 11, Lisa T.I. Jenkins, The Whitest Blackest. Oh, man. I mean... I feel like my friends make me a badass bitch. You know what I mean? Like I honestly, I mean, there's, there's like, you roll with people in life and you're kind of just like, you don't have a lot of confidence in yourself. And like you, you said, you saw some potential in me. You called me out on some shit. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like I think having people around you that support you and push you more than anything, because yeah. it's not always cute. No, it can it's be not. uncomfortable. But like, you have to be able to move past that and to understand that that's part of growth, you know, like even when I first, I mean, the first time I ever went to therapy was after Liz died and I did not want to go, but I was 
borderline having a really bad alcohol problem at that time that I don't Mm. think I really talked to anybody about, but it was uncomfortable. I fucking Mm. hated it, but it helped me through it, you know? And it's just one of those things, like it made me better for it. And, um, I don't know, I guess it's just, there's, I, I don't, I guess sometimes too, being in Aries, I'm a little more fearless in some of my approach. <laughs> like my brother, my older brother will always, like, he posted a photo on my birthday of me. He was like, told a story about how I've always been his, um, I've always been his bodyguard, like his protector. <laughs> Cause there were kids that would pick on him cause he was all scrawny and little. And I was like, people, I would see that and I would just go up to him and shove them. Apparently <laughs> I cracked like two kids' heads. My mom had to pay the bills for. Yes. I broke broke some girl's nose as a child. Yes. That's another reason why we're friends, bitch. That's another reason why. I just, I don't like seeing, I'm a protector of my people and of my friends. I'm like super fucking loyal. And, you know, if I see somebody getting hurt, even if it's somebody I don't fucking know, I will stand up and say some shit. And I think a lot of people have problem with that. Like, again, you were talking about, there's people that don't want to, don't like conflict. It's easier to turn or do whatever. But like, we've obviously seen, especially over these last few years that like film the police, you see somebody being pulled over, you film that you, you help somebody like that kind of thing. That's been my mentality, I think, obviously, since I was like five years old. <laughs> Apparently, because your mom has the bills. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean. I'm not sure what kind of. I guess that's that's all I would say is be true to yourself, <laughs> be true to yourself and, you know, fight for other people. Yeah. I, but I think what you said is real important. It's not cute. It's fucking hard as fuck. It's uncomfortable as fuck. So, you know, it's not a quick fix. It's like, you gotta do the fucking work. Yeah. Okay, next one. How difficult was it coming to the States? Did she experience any racism? Because from what I see, all her childhood friends were white. How Chola, how how Chola were you? Because that's not ghetto. (laughs) This is from Danny Cabezon Ibarra. One of the famous Gs that I always talk about and will hopefully agree to be on the show in the you better <laughs> you better shit i mean i don't i don't remember coming here because i was real little mm-hmm. i mean i think i was like three maybe four years old i remember but like you know you get you i mean la habra is orange county but it's north orange county it's bordering la county and the neighborhood that we landed in was mostly white people at the time um, people like to call La Habra now Guadalajara because <laughs> there's a lot of Latinos, but um, Guadalajara, that's a good one. I mean, I, I think also, I don't remember, like I came here not speaking English. Right. So I just started in school and like, honestly, the only, like the friends that I made, this girl Carly and my friend Tasha, like didn't speak Spanish, but they were both real fucking shy. And I think I just bullied them into being my friends. <laughs> They're like, I don't know what this bitch is saying, but fuck yeah. it. <laughs> I know. Vamos a jugar. Andale. Like, just, you know, like, let's go and swing. Like, just yelling at them. Let's go. And they just did. Because we talked about this before. I'm still friends with both of them. Oh, that's And cute. how we just, like, they were like, I know that they were, like, literally the two shyest people <laughs> in that time. My mom even remembers. She's like, yeah, they were so shy. And you were just like, let's go be friends. But I think also maybe it was, like, 
because they were so shy, maybe they weren't as outgoing and I felt mm. bad for them. And, or, you know what I mean? She's like, yeah. she's like, I saw this empathy in you that like you wanted to hang out with the kids that were like, nobody picked first to play with kind of yeah. thing. Kind of like you, you bonded on like being outsiders. Yeah. 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 But also, you know, I did like at one point, I think probably going into junior high. I mean, I had, I had Latina friends, but we, when we got to high school, they all went to La Habra High and most of the white girls that I, and, you know, people that I knew went to Sonora High. So it was like two different high schools. I don't know. Mm. I don't want to say completely, but like, even when I got to Sonora, like I took floriculture and that was where the cholas were at, girl. Like we <laughs> made flower arrangements together. Like, you know what I mean? But we didn't, yeah. we didn't hang out together. I mean, you know, things are very segregated still yeah. like on a, on the school level of like, and that's another like institution that is completely fucking bullshit because they don't give opportunities to, to BIPOC children the way yep. they do to white kids, you know, Please believe it it's antiquated so, system for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I used to, so the, the friend, like the core group of friends that I had in high school too, were like, we called each other the United Colors of Benetton because there was like a <laughs> Japanese girl. There was my friend Tasha is half Mexican. Me, you know, like we just were sort of like and we we had a lot of friends in other friend groups. But we were also just like the, the friend group that like did a lot of stuff together. But yeah, I probably wasn't until I got to college that I was like there was a much bigger pool of culture and exposed to different races and yeah. you know what I mean where I was yeah. just like but it was still also very segregated even in college you know like yeah for sure UCLA, yeah yeah for sure yeah. um and that's funny you say United uh you know states of Benetton or whatever because that's how it was for me so another another uh you know thing that we have in common okay the last comment i have is says let her know that i'm her biggest fan and muy proud of everything she's accomplished <laughs> and especially excited to see what awesome things she tackles next and that is from your lover oh. <laughs> from brian hill who you guys heard in the background earlier and who she said you know really was was like yo like i want you to come back and have a come in and from a day and say you had a good day and uh, B is good peeps. Yeah. So that was that's a nice way to that's end my that. that's my 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 baberoni as I yeah, like to call him. Too cute. <laughs> okay. We're limited on time, so I'm gonna I'm not yeah. gonna ask all of them, but I'm ask a couple. Okay. Of the not so rapid fire questions, the aka slow as hell questions. Let's do the easy one, the top one. Three words to describe yourself. Mm. I think I said loyal already, like probably fiercely loyal. Um mm -hmm. Uh, passionate, which could mean angry or loving. <laughs> it's a spectrum. Passion, passion. It's a spectrum. It is a, a yeah. And I've thought about this since I've been listening to your podcast. And every time I'm like, oh, when somebody says something, I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, what about me? I don't know. Um, Loyal, passionate. Kind. 
guess. Yeah, for fucking sure. I concur. Okay. What's the best piece of advice you received? Uh, probably from Mr. Brian Hill. And that is to do what makes you happy. That's right. You can't go wrong. You can't yeah. go wrong on that. Um, okay. Because we love music, we come from, we met in the music industry. I got to go with song to get you hyped when you need it. Oh, man. I thought about this one, too. And I was like, I'm going to make a playlist. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's different songs. Like, I remember listening to T.I.'s episode and she was like, you know, has like a different song for a different something or other. But I don't know. I think probably... Like the one song, oh God, there's so many. But Rage Against the Machine, Take the Power Back. I'm feeling that. Like mm -hmm. that's my, that's what's driving me right now. Nice. And you know, it's funny you said playlist because I have in my notes that I was thinking I'm, I should make a playlist of each person from every episode, their That'd song. Because it'll be so, some, there'll be like, you know, a lot of overlap, but there'll be some diverse shit on yeah. there. So I'll get to that someday soon. And I'll let you guys know. We'll have a link. Yeah. The last question is a new question. And I've right. always, I'm always messing around on how do I say it so I don't have to say the whole thing all over again. But let's call it the one division question for right okay. now. Okay. <laughs> and since I'm, this is only my the second or third time saying, I'm saying it's the one division question that a chat member from Fat Man Beyond uh, with Kevin Smith and Mark Bernadine asked. And it brought everyone to tears when they were telling their answer. But you don't have to get, you don't, we don't have to tear if you don't want to. It says, so uh, I have it here, past fictional, real, um, or present, uh, uh, past or present, fictional or real, who would you want to bring back to watch TV with you a la WandaVision? Do you want real and fictional? Or Whatever you want. One? Whatever you want to share. Because I could get emotional about a fake character. <laughs> of course. Yeah, fuck yeah. Of course. Fucking Logan from Wolverine. Oh. You know, I have I, from the movie Logan. The movie Logan, yeah. So I have yet to see that, but I you can understand that. I know everyone says it's really good. Watch it. Hey. What would you watch? Oh, shit. We'd probably watch some novellas. <laughs> I love it. I love because it. Because you, you got to see Logan, but you know, there's the little girl and she's, she's a little Mexican girl that it like turns out she's his daughter. I didn't, I didn't know she was Mexican. Yeah. Wow. The more, you know, Sorry, I probably just spoiled it for you, but. <laughs> oh shit. No, no, I'm sure it's fine. I'll forget. I'll forget. And I'll be okay. like, oh yeah. Karen told me she was Mexican. Oh, that's nice. 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 Okay. Well, that's it for all the questions, all the things. Karen, Sweet. I love you so much. Girl, I feel the same way. I don't want to cry. Family. Oh. <laughs> but I'm tearing up. Uh oh, it's a pee. I thank you for say, having I, me. I just want to say thank you for being my friend. And for being family. And um, I just, you know. I just want to, I think it's important we give people in our lives their flowers and while, you know, if anything, this shitty ass pandemic and this administration has shown us is that, you know, we have to 
tell the people we love, we love them. So I'm just, you know, I just, especially this conversation, I, I hear the growth, I see the growth and, you know, just kind of just seeing the whole spectrum of when I met you and stuff and you're happy and you're doing what you want and it's all I've ever wanted for you. And you're such a good person. So thank you so much. Thank you, Marissa. You're making me cry, bitch. (laughs) When Chola's cry, bitch. I know when Chola's cry, (laughs) this is what it sounds like. (laughs) When Chola's cry. Thank you. Speaking of when Chola's cry, I will also maybe in the stories or in, no, probably on the episode thing, I'll put the picture of us as dressed up as Chola's. And remember (laughs) we went to the K-Rock thing. It was it was Halloween K Rock. It was at the Queen Mary, and Karen and I go in, and we have the gun, the fake gun, and the fake uh, retractable knife, right? And we go to check in, and fake tattoos, fake tattoos, the whole shebang, Dickies, the whole fucking shebang. What did that bitch say? She goes, "Um, you know, it's a costume party, right?" (laughs) Girl, this is a costume, bitch. What? Uh, oh, I had like a tiger on my neck. Like, like <laughs> it was peeling off, even like. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! I know she was like, "Oh, there's some badass bitches." Yeah, hilarious. Oh well, man, I'm gonna give you just real quick some props too, because if it wasn't for friends like you, Marissa, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have grown in this direction. You know, like I feel like I owe so much to you know a handful of people in my life that have believed in me and have supported me and you for sure are fucking top of that list. Mm, And you're inspiring. Everything you do is fucking inspiring this podcast. Your supernatural bear, like everything girl. I'm so proud of you and I love you. And vice versa. And speaking of the supernatural bear, after you listen to this section, please pay attention and keep continue to listen to the supernatural bear corner because he's going to, Talk about something that we just received and that we love. Um, and that's oh. uh, fancy chola salsa. I forgot to talk about that part of my career, but yeah. <laughs> oh, oh no, it's going to be talked about in the next section. Please Perfect. believe it. He already knows. He's like, oh my God. And because we, we just got some that we haven't had in a long time. We just got some. And what size is that container you gave us? 32 ounces. Girl, that shit's almost gone. We just got it like a couple of days ago. That shit is almost gone. And that's just between me and the supernatural bear. (laughs) So, yeah. That makes me happy. It's that fucking good. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Yeah. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for the salsa. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for being on this podcast. Um, Yeah. Love you. You're the best. Love you too, girl. Thank you. And now introducing... Supernatural Bear Corner. Supernatural Bear. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? It's me, SMB16. And today, in honor of my Thea Karen special episode, I decided to talk to you guys a little bit about Fancy Chala Salsa. That's just a sneak peek of what's happening soon. Stay tuned! Anyway, it is so good. My mom actually said once 
that she could drink the juice. Like, I'm not saying just a little shot. I'm saying like an entire glass, people. That's how good that salsa is. And um, you can order some now if you want, I believe. Yeah, you can order some now. And I have a little song that I hope, dear Karen, if you're listening to this, you will like. And this song is called Fancy Chola Salsa. Fancy chola salsa, fancy chola salsa, Okay, that was the song, and I hope you guys really liked it. Thea Karen, if you need any like singing or anything, my mom and I will be very welcome and very honored. To do a small little jingle for Fancy Chola Salsa. And I hope you guys like the song too. And that's that's pretty much it. I mean, check us out on Patreon and stuff. And um, follow our social media's posts. And yeah, see you guys soon. There it is, episode 33. Um, unfortunately, I think because of the pandemic, the fancy chola salsa is not currently available. But, you know, you could reach out and you could be notified when it is available. And I swear to the lords and dragons above, this is one of the best salsas I've ever tasted in my entire life. And I always forget, but she leaves out something because someone didn't like something. And so it doesn't even have like all the ingredients you would think it has. I don't know, but it's like a res- a recipe <laughs> handed down generations and shit like that. But it's so fucking good. So, you know, I think you should do yourself a favor and get that salsa when it is available. But as you can see, it makes people write songs or redo songs. That's actually a, that's a song. I can't. Uh, Gran Combo, maybe. Um, que le pongan salsa. And uh, that's a song that we love that I've taught. The supernatural bear since he was a baby um and so we automatically made it to fancy chola salsa it fits it fits we had maracas and this other little uh cosita no no sé cómo se llama it's like a little basket with some stuff i think maybe it's papa bear got it went from his travels in africa or something yeah man we did it all out uh it was good times fun um before we leave i wanted to give a quote that Karen provided me that she didn't she didn't remember to talk about in the episode but it goes like this remember this in the darkest moments when the work doesn't seem worth it and the change seems just out of reach out of our willingness to push through comes a tremendous power use it and that is by the amazing top shelf top level Stacey Abrams so yeah so there it is you now you know what it sounds like when cholas cry and um yeah I love doing this so let's let's get those reviews in let let more and more people find out about this if anyone out there is a black or brown or you know BIPOC uh publicist that wants to help get this podcast um, 
out there and so that more and more people know about this, please reach out. You can reach out at hola at wordtoyourmama.com. Um, yeah, man. Gracias. I appreciate all the support. Let's keep it going. Let's 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 get this out to to more people to spread the diverse voices and all that good stuff. Um, and until next time, we reap. Word to Your Mama is owned and produced by Ritz P. The intro is produced by Nico Beats. If you want to get a hold of us and see other things, all there is to know, go to wordtoyourmama.com. And as always, Word to Your Mama is brought to you by ritzperiwinkle.com and panablybpo.com.